0: Hello, Internet, and welcome to Never Stay Dead. My name is Matt Wednesday's Serial, and I have with me my co-host. Say hi, Damien.
1: Uh, hi there. My name's Damien. Uh, some people might know me as Sleepy Reader
0: on YouTube. All right. And today, for our inaugural podcast, we're taking a bit of a look at Fantastic Four, issues 51, 52, and 53. you comic nerds know what those numbers mean.
1: Do we? <laughs> to be specific, we wanted to read the first appearances of the Black Panther. And then um, Matt ended up reading the issue just before because he hadn't read much of this Kirby Lee era of Fantastic Four. So we decided we would cover that one also. So um, issue 51 is this man, this monster. 52 is uh, introducing the sensational Black Panther. And 53 is the way it began. <laughs> so that those will be the main things we're talking about this evening. Or I shouldn't say evening. In this podcast.
0: <laughs> All right. So do you want to lead off with... Uh bit of what you remember your your impressions from the classic the acclaimed fantastic four (laughs) number 51 oh i okay um so number 51
1: is kind of a a one-shot issue that stands between several other major arcs in the fantastic four it's called this man this monster and essentially there's a mad scientist who steals ben grimm's thing form which causes ben Grimm to become human again and the monster hates uh, the, the mad scientist do they give him a name i can't remember the mad scientist hates reed richards out of jealousy and thinks he's the better scientist so he plans to go i guess and kill reed richards as the thing and um Reed Richards is busy working on his first experiment for going into subspace, which will later be called the negative zone. And uh, he gets this fake thing, the mad scientist, to help him explore it by holding on to this giant uh, rope (laughs) or what do you call it? Uh, What would you call the thing? The tether, a giant tether um, that tethers Reed Richards to our dimension while Reed Richards explores subspace. But then the tether breaks and the fake thing, the mad scientist realizes Reed Richards is a great guy now, and he dives into subspace, joins Reed Richards, throws Reed Richards back into our dimension, basically, and sacrifices himself. And there's also, there's a scene where Ben Grimm as a human comes and they don't believe him that he's a human, that it's him himself. And there's also, I think, a a scene in there of uh, Johnny Storm's college life and kind of introduces his new roommate, Wyatt Wingfoot, who becomes an important character for a long time afterwards in the Fantastic Four. Does
0: that sound about right? Yeah, I think that uh, sums up as best he can here. And so um, you had never read this
1: story before, today or yesterday uh, what was your reaction to it
0: i mean I, I was just kind of blown away i've heard of this comic before because it's you know one of the most famous so when we were i was sitting there looking at reading this black panther issues we talked about it was just right there and so i just had to jump in i was like ah, i've never read this before i just need to go through this for my own sake it it has a very iconic cover so you probably recognize the cover right away i am guess i did and uh what, what blew me away is, I mean, there's a lot in here, like a lot of the Kirbyisms, just the way the technology looks, a little bit of the Kirby crackle, the whole deal the way Kirby does faces, and you can tell the mad scientist is a little off by the way he draws the eyes sometimes. Uh, th- there's just so much there, and it was just something else to take in, um, in a way I, I hadn't before, and... I was under the impression for the longest time that this was just an introspective uh, Ben Grimm story where essentially he'd be wandering through New York City, feel mopey about himself and some things would happen. I was expecting something a little more uh, Will Eisner-esque, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think Stan Lee talks about this issue being his favorite issue and he makes it sound like it's, you know, uh, a slow moving, pensive kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe by his standards it was, but it, it it still has a lot of um action and big visuals, but no fist fights or anything like that. And maybe that's what he was thinking about.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um I I mean, it's a great issue, of course, and I it just it, it allowed me to hook in because I've never really read The Fantastic Four before, at least not from before, you know, the turn of the century. And this really gave me a hook as to why they're so beloved and so much more about these characters that I've never really got because I've never read them in their heyday. I, it, was, it was really good for me to do this because trying to understand the initial introduction of the Black Panther, you're seeing it through the eyes of the Fantastic Four, and this gave me enough to understand more of who these characters were at the time. And the only part that was like a tough bit to swallow was the way Reed was talking to Sue a lot. Like that was. Yeah. Okay. That in
1: my mind, and I never noticed this as a kid when I first read these in early reprints, you know, seventies reprints, the, the huge flaw of the Kirby Lee fantastic four is the treatment of Sue storm. I mean, she is just always this kind of quivering ball of nerves that has to be comforted and protected by Reed Richards. And, and, most often is shown sort of cowering in the background (laughs) and it doesn't really fit what you know she's very powerful and so anyway that's if I could change anything about about this 100 issue run of the Fantastic Four that's what that's the one flaw I see
0: yeah is that what you meant well yeah just the way she's spoken to as well Um, it's all a Stay back, Sue, darling. I'll take care of it, or things like that. Yeah. But, I I mean, there's still some endearing moments, and it's interesting to see. What's also interesting to see for me is that the Human Torch isn't really present. He is just away at college, and he is just talking to this uh, Wyatt guy, and he's not fitting in, which is weird to me because my understanding of the older Human Torch is through the eyes of Spider-Man. Uh Or, you know, he's this beloved celebrity and everything's going relatively right right for him compared to poor old Spidey.
1: Yeah, that's definitely in the Spider-Man world. He's the cool guy with the money and the cars and the girls. Um, And here they've shown him as being picked on by... It's almost like he met his own Flash Gordon for a brief scene. Yeah. Not Flash Gordon, Flash... whatever his name was. Yeah,
0: except he's willing to stand up a bit more and... I, yeah it, it was funny too to see and you had a
1: sense he was holding back he could flame on and melt this
0: guy but of course he can't do that with a regular person right um it was also funny to see like how big of a deal football was this little college story and to think that was a thing then i thought that was more recent i guess i don't know why um or certainly more southern than northern uh uh-huh. um, i don't no, know i think football's
1: always been a huge thing in in college even be, before there was professional football there was college football
0: um but I, I feel like we're kind of getting bogged in some details here like this was just true, a, true. a tight one and done that just wowed me and yeah i mean it's a great comic and
1: well oh, go sorry go ahead oh yeah
0: no if you have to read you know one issue of fantastic four i've heard it so many times and i mean I, i'm inclined to say like read this one you'll get more out of this than you probably will just grabbing another random issue and certainly more than issue 1 which I've tried to read before and couldn't get into as much right
1: i i think issue 1 is interesting to look at in an academic sort of way <laughs> although i think it's quite good for for a comic of its time um but the amazing thing about the fantastic 4 is how how in like the first forty issues, you can watch the evolution, sort of of comic book superhero comic books take off. Um, but anyway, uh, I one of the things that I thought about in all the issues we read these three issues and in um, thinking back on other other Fantastic Four that I've read from this era is there's always two stories going on in the sense of there's the story of the Fantastic Four. And then there's the story of whoever they meet or are are involved in. There's the story of the Inhumans or the story of the Silver Surfer. Here, the, the story arc is the story arc of this mad scientist who realizes he had a completely wrong idea of who Reed Richards was and what he was all about. And so there's that story, and then there's sort of the ongoing lives of the Fantastic Four that are mixed up with that story. And in the later issues, you know, the the later two issues that we're going to talk about it's it's really the black panther story but there's stuff going on with the fantastic four still at the same time but you get what i'm saying
0: yeah no that i mean the main characters the title of the book kind of take a back seat they have their moments but the book's willing to focus on other characters which is a big thing i'm wondering if that's just symptomatic of the fantastic four being marvel's first family and them needing to kind of build the universe through them.
1: Well, it certainly turned out that way. I, I think also by them being viewed more as explorers and adventurers, mm. rather than first and foremost heroes who solve problems, that gives them the greater leeway to not always be the center of the story, but just be on an adventure, on an exploration, discovering something new. If that makes sense, it does, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'd have to look more closely at at later versions, you know, what beyond Lee and Kirby. But I wonder if sometimes when it's been less satisfying is because the the writer, the creators, the editors in the later years just assume, well, this is a Fantastic Four book, and I have to make it more expressly about the Fantastic Four. And in my memory, the the one person who kind of came back to this feeling of them only being part of the story was maybe the John Byrne run. But I haven't read every run of the Fantastic Four, so I can't really judge at all.
0: Fair enough. I, I've read a little bit from the 90s, I guess, that didn't do anything for anyone as far as I know. Right. And then some of the Hickman stuff, or... Most of yeah, it. I
1: like the Hickman stuff quite a bit. I'd ha- I have to think how it relates to this pattern. but Well, shall we, uh, do you ha- shall we move on to uh, the first appearance of the Black Panther? Sure. In Fantastic Four number 52. I wonder how this cover appeared to, uh, let's say, a, <laughs> a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old or even a college student. There are letters in here from college students. Mm-hmm. Um, the letters page was included in the reprint that I have. Uh, but there's this figure this dark figure on the cover and then this sort of snaky technology all around the fantastic four it has a strange almost gloomy creepy look to it Mm -hmm. almost like the black panthers like a vampire or a monster stalking them and i thought these two issues had a lot in them that reminded me of the old monster comics that stanley and jack kirby did before they started the superhero run what did you think as as you started the comic
0: um i mean i was just trying to see how things were going to be introduced because to me i'm kind of working backwards i feel like i know black panther and uh-huh. i'm more being introduced to the fantastic Four. Oh, okay. and so yeah. we're starting off and we're resolving the fact that johnny's coming with them they basically pick him up and they take A couple pages to suss that out um right and they take wyatt wingfoot along with
1: them i guess i i was supposed to summarize the issues as we went along oh it's all good this issue basically they get tricked by the black panther to come visit them by this gift of a super magnetic flying car and then basically the rest of the issue is the black panther fighting them so the issue is an extended fight which i would have thought i wouldn't have liked but i did and, um, and it seems like the Black Panther's beaten them, but then with a little help from Wyatt Wingfoot, they end up defeating the Black Panther. And at the end of the issue, he basically says,
0: now I'll tell you why I really brought you here. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. How did you feel about that general plot? Cause I, I have some mixed feelings. I've reread this issue a number of
1: times over the years and sometimes it's really annoyed me and this time I really enjoyed it Um, maybe I was really in the mood for a a comic aimed at kids or at young adults of that era Um, so I I thought it was clever the way they mixed a lot of stuff that the readers wouldn't have been expecting because they're not expecting all this technology and stuff from this african tribe and how that is all used to defeat the fantastic four who are the super techno um super team or you know adventurer team themselves um and i felt it played a lot on and and ben Grimm makes a lot of references to it which might be taken as racist but it played a lot on uh pulp novel clichés of the early 20th century mm. which is what comic books came out of and uh people like like I I was a kid in the 70s and in the 60s and 70s all this pulp stuff was being reprinted all us nerdy kids along with reading comics were reading tarzan novels and you know John Carter on Mars and at the Earth's core and I remember reading H Rider Haggard She and Other kinds of lost civilizations that you find in Africa kind of stuff so all of that they seem to be playing against the expectation of this primitive savage society in hidden in Africa and turning turning all of those pulp expectations a little bit on their
0: head yeah well to those pulp expectations like the I mean I think we all know where that's coming from on some level or another but What's interesting is this issue in particular is credited with a lot of early influence to the Afrofuturism idea. And Hmm. what's crazy about it, especially from a narrative perspective, is, you know, this is supposed to be introducing the Black Panther. And we don't really know who or what he is, but um, we find out initially that they're being introduced through this emissary that they meet in New York and he's able right. to pull up this is the 60s he's able to pull up some crazy device that attaches to his head kind of looking like cerebro right instead of finding a phone and then waiting 5 minutes for the operator
1: to connect you across continents or something
0: right you know he he's able to beam this over and talk about it and you have this society that's built on Kirby tech So you know it's advanced because it looks bizarre. Well, the other thing they're playing
1: on, I think, is Dr. Doom. Because Dr. Doom also is the ruler of a country with lots of advanced technology. And he sometimes sends diplomats to New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're playing on the expectation that this is a bad guy.
0: Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's part of it is they, they kind of have this duplicitous thing where he invites them, then he fights them which I have mixed feelings about because that doesn't actually feel like a Black Panther move in my mind. I mean, this is his right. first introduction though. So, I mean, how can I possibly say that? Um, but the way the character has evolved, this isn't the sort of thing he right. would do, but he's too
1: sophisticated of a person to say, Hey, I'll get their attention by defeating them.
0: <laughs> right. But uh, in doing so, you know, he almost single handedly best, the fantastic four, he has a reason for doing so that isn't so bad. And he never intends on really harming them. You know,
1: a few bumps of bruises. Right. It's a
0: superhero comic. But... Well,
1: they they don't know that he doesn't intend on harming them. But right. we know. We realize by the end he doesn't. And it, it is a superhero comic of the 60s, a lot of which depended on a childlike logic of you fight and then you become friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we don't do that as adults. But. Ah. Or most of us don't. <laughs> I I can't think of anyone I fought with, but even if I did, I don't know if I'd become friends with them afterwards. Correct. But maybe there's still that cliche of you getting a big bar brawl with someone, and after you've beat the pulp out of each other, you're you're great friends, <laughs> in some movies and such. But anyway, I think it, it was a logic it it was a logic that only a twelve year old wouldn't you know argue with in comics back then but it happened all the time in marvel comics right
0: yeah i i think so and i mean if you want to talk about representation stuff you have to remember this was early 60s right i think it's uh 66 or mid 60s or 65 it's looking like 66 but um yeah
1: um but i mean I don't even... know. I mean, they wouldn't even been thinking of the word representation.
0: <laughs> right. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, with that lens in mind, even now, like, and giving the fact that it's a superhero comic, and they fight first and befriend within an issue, essentially, though right. tightly at the end, and the next issue, they're all good. Like, uh, this is pretty forward thinking. This is pretty decent and it also allows the characters to just be characters and not bogged down by anything like that and uh, you know it's kind of refreshing to go back and read something like that and not you know have to say well it was of the time you know no it holds up in a certain respect I just think the character and other
1: than Ben Grimm other than Ben Grimm making cracks about Tarzan movies there's not really an implication that anyone is surprised that there would be an advanced African society. I mean, it's surprising, it's a hidden society and everything, but it's not like, oh, I can't believe they did it or right. anything like that. And of course, another character that they just bring along with very little comment is a an American Indian. The only thing there that we would never do with an American Indian now, I think, is say because he's an American Indian, he has special tracking abilities because <laughs> that plays on it kind of old cliche just because you're an american indian unless you were trained in tracking you're not going to just naturally have it because you're an american indian at least i don't think so
0: i i mean yeah but
1: <laughs> but basically he's just presented as this cool character who happens to be hanging out
0: <laughs> yeah and i don't know i i mean And that's
1: one of the, the charms of the Fantastic Four is they kind of gather people around them, friends that just keep reoccurring and showing up. From Wyatt Wingfoot to, you know, Crystal and Medusa end up just sort of popping in and out and other characters, I think.
0: Oh, that was something. What did you think of the Inhumans aside in this comic? Well,
1: so that would make a lot of sense to you if you've been reading like 10 issues at this point okay, because it had been an ongoing thing and clearly they're planning to get back to it. And it it's the major plot point for Johnny is, you know, mm. from a teenage point of view, he's found his true love and then this unbreachable barrier has been set up between them. Right. And so that I also think that Jack Kirby just decided to throw it in because there's, I probably won't be able to find it quickly. When it's introduced, Stan Lee, I think, you know, would get the pages and then see what Jack Kirby had done and have to put it all together, you know, put the dialogue on it. So sometimes I think there's hints in his caption boxes that he's a little surprised. Oh, what's going on here? I'll have to figure it out. So he says, now, now, lest you think we've forgotten about them, let's briefly turn our attention to the remote mountain fastness of the other side of the world. Um, I almost feel like he's a bit chagrined that they show up. And then when we leave them, he he says, and that frantic one is all we'll see of the Inhumans this ish. We just wanted to whet your appetite a bit. Um. <laughs> so who knows what Jack Kirby was thinking, I think, is what's really going on there. And then Stan Lee's like, OK, well, we've got them and we'll. But so I think for Jack Kirby, it was an emotional point for Johnny to sort of let's not forget about this tragedy that's going on in Johnny's life that we plan to come back to eventually. And or maybe we just think the, uh, the hidden land of the Inhumans is so cool we keep wanting to show it again. Right. Although I don't think they showed Lockjaw, who's my favorite Inhuman. <laughs> can't have it all every ish. You can't have it all every ish, right? And a typical thing of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee comics and I don't know if it's maybe it's the same in the John Romita Spider-Mans is everything wraps up really quickly on the last page. Hmm. And it it's probably a result of and maybe many of our listeners know about the Marvel style of writing where the the artist at best went from a rough plot drew out pages and then the writer had to come back and sort of Fill in the dialogue and make the whole story make sense. And so I think often the artist would get near the end and say, uh oh, time to wrap things up. And so a lot of wrapping up would happen on page 20 or 21 or whatever the last page was. So, did you, you had mixed feelings about the long, long fight that took up most of the issue?
0: It was more the fact that the Black Panther is being duplicitous that gave me right. pause. Um, but it all's well that ends well, I guess. I, just It felt bizarre to me, yeah. the way I understand the character.
1: Right. Well, as someone who's so intelligent and so educated and all of that, you would think he could have found a much better way to make friends with the Fantastic Four. But I think just a lot of things in the comics of this time exist as excuses for action scenes. And in this one, the, you know, It was an excuse for Jack Kirby to make up all these different traps and tricks and stuff. And this time when I read it, I think other times I've read it and felt a bit bored by this part, but this time I kind of got in the spirit of it. And, you know, part of it was I was reading it on a digital device this time and I was zooming in panel by panel and it was a lot of fun just to look at what was going on in each panel. Even with all the dialogue balloons, there's lots going on in the the drawing parts too. Oh, yeah. and there's a lot of fun just sort of quippiness from you know Stanley's version of Ben Grimm and stuff that uh that appealed to me this you know sometimes I'm
0: not in the mood for it sometimes I'm in the mood for it all right um do you have any more on 52
1: no no it was kind of a setup really the I suppose the meat of the story is 53
0: I think so. Do you think you can sum it up? Because I feel like this was a much more uh, meandering issue.
1: Right. So 53 involves uh, the Black Panther, throws a party for the Fantastic Four, and tells them his backstory of how when he was a boy, his father was killed by this evil scientist-slash-plunderer named Claw, who's after their magical, not magical, but super science, Adam a vibranium <laughs> that could make his uh, sound technology unbeatable. And um, Claw kills his dad, and he manages eventually to fight back against Claw. And it's at this point, I'm a bit disappointed to discover that this advanced Wakanda, as an advanced nation, really has only existed for 10 years. And that I had trouble buying into. So they were basically a more standard African nation until um, Claw killed his father. And then he traveled the world and went to lots of universities and used the vibranium to make a lot of money and build all this technology and stuff.
0: Yeah, that is uh, retconned later.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Because it makes a lot more sense that he's part of a long line of an advanced civilization but he's like it's pinnacle or something. So then so then after this then conveniently after all this he has this feeling that Claw's coming back and then Claw does come back and all these bizarre monstrous versions of jungle animals appear and fight mostly with Ben Grimm. And meanwhile the the Black Panther finds Claw's hideout with all his technology and has a fight with Claw and defeats Claw. And at the end, Claw throws himself into one of his machines saying, Wahaha, I'll be back more powerful than ever, <laughs> which he does come back more powerful than ever. Um, but so in the end, the Fantastic Four are kind of very much bystanders in this issue to the Black Panther story, I think.
0: Right. They're more running damage control than they are dealing with the main threat because they're really letting it sit back and be the Black Panther's story given that it's his origin and dealing with kind of the villain that started it all for him i think that's fitting and it it, it's nice to see it's nice
1: that he gets to defeat the villain himself the fantastic four don't they're just busy fighting the side
0: effects of the battle so to speak but i mean there's so much introduced here i mean you have claw introduced in a way that kind of has him make more sense i think you know he's this Mm -hmm. Someone who's mastered this idea of sound is able to create like a solidified sound that's somehow red, whatever. Right. But the black. Why it looks red is. Yeah, and it's related to this idea of vibranium, this metal that can cancel vibration. Right. And dealing with that. And so you have that introduced as well, atop of the. Lightly, but somewhat introduced the whole panther lineage idea. Mm hmm. And they're really playing on him being cat like.
1: They also make it that he has, this is like this part of his culture that they don't use very often. He's pulled it out because of this need for revenge and protection against Claw. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, the Fantastic Four talk him into continuing as Black Panther. He was really only going to be Black Panther for as long as he had to deal with Claw, mm-hmm. but now they've talked him into being a superhero. And I thought that was... It was done, again, in a very childlike way with very little... um, It didn't take much to talk him into it. (laughs) But still, I I thought it was... And and Ben Grimm, of course, makes jokes about, yeah, there's plenty of stuff for superheroes to do or whatever. Everyone else is doing it, you might as well too, or something (laughs) along those lines. I think particularly because that they were they were kind of winging these comics month by month they didn't have these long-term plans the way brian michael bendis does now or right or whomever scott snyder that they managed to almost by accident set up enough that could be built on in the future you know for when other people come along
0: well and i think that's more charming because they're just kind of it's so much more inventive it's so much more creative it's so much more energetic you don't necessarily know what's going to matter right so you can see let's
1: just pack a pack a lot of ideas and events into this issue and and maybe we'll come back to them yeah they could even have decided never to come back they did come back to claw but they could have never come back to him and no one would have noticed I suppose that's true even though he threatens to come back I'm sure many a villain did that and then didn't come back if they weren't if they decide later they weren't a cool villain
0: Right.
1: Yeah. I prefer Claw looking more just like a mad scientist or whatever he is than later when he has a big costume and
0: Well it's not just a costume, it's like his face is like a toy right. and it, yeah, it's I whole...
1: guess he's not human anymore. He's just made of sound himself, maybe? Yeah. I'm not sure. I
0: mean, it just doesn't it doesn't have the same impact. That big spread with Claw's face with right. the technology um, and he has that kind of safari hat on with these other men around him, like, it's a smaller thing than how claws normally presented, because claws such a big villain, he comes up in these big crossovers that are earth-shattering consequences. But uh-huh. <laughs> here, I mean, he's a guy who has a vendetta in Africa, and he's going for it. For whatever reason, it seems so much more menacing, because the scale of it is more comprehensible, but it's still a big thread. It's just not... Well, is the world going to end? Of course not. Right. Yeah,
1: it's more. It is more menacing because he's a guy who's willing to kill a whole village to get what he wants, and killing a whole village is somehow more menacing than threatening the world or whatever. Right. In a way, more personal, and it's very personal here. And I, I felt like I could feel the young T'Challa's, you know, emotions over trying to. You know, deal with the fact that his father was killed in front of him when he was a little boy. It's still all wrapped up in kind of a children's comic. <laughs> the standard,
0: you know, mode to being a superhero.
1: It's interesting how he had a cape back then. A cape that the Black Panther did. A cape that went over just one shoulder. And they, I assume that, you, they, that never really came back, did it?
0: I... I mean, I know it was lost somewhere along the line, but uh-huh. I, I think it's so. For so a part while. of the
1: backstory here is that Matt has read more of the, what the two thousands, ninety eight, Black uh, Panther than
0: I have. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't read everything, but I've read a chunk, and so. And I've really just
1: read, the Fantastic Four appearances and Avenger appearances, and then, um, and then. The stuff about him in the early seventies and the mid seventies, the, uh, the famous Don McGregor run and the Jack, the later Jack Kirby run. That's really bizarre.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I peeked a little at that Jack Kirby run and that felt very interesting. It's funny. Like the mode method mode of what I imagine the black Panther being really doesn't come in until decades later. It's kind of crazy to see how the character changed just by the nature of being written in different eras where it really could be a different era because a comic really hadn't been written about him for a year or so, at least.
1: Right. Well, but I think Jack Kirby, when he came in, he totally ignored what Don McGregor had done and just said, okay, I'm just going to make up some wacky adventures and put the, and make the Black Panther an adventurer. I'd have to go back and read it, but I think of it as one of the less successful Jack Kirby Seventies endeavors.
0: That's fair. I I think there's some meat in there.
1: Well, it definitely would be worth revisiting. So, well, you were saying they retconned um, to chat the or the background of Wakanda. Is it more of a? It's been a high tech country for longer.
0: Yeah, yeah, with varying levels of how that's interpreted, because the Kirby tech idea, I think fades away and it's more based on the idea of vibranium overall uh-huh. uh, and they, they play up the the panther god more and there's stuff to that too so there's technological and mystical which is very reminiscent of doom more so later it seemed like
1: uh uh-huh. is it is t'challa still a uh technological genius
0: He is, but uh, he's not considered... I don't... If I remember right, he's not considered to be the genius his father was. Like, he's not what his father was in literally every capacity. And so he's always trying to measure up.
1: Interesting. Metaphorically, the later comic book creators are trying to measure up to the early ones. But uh, that's probably not what they're thinking of.
0: Yeah, no, but I think that's an element. That's interesting.
1: So, well, I... Did you have more on this? I, I was going to mention the other one that I read, even though you didn't read it. Oh,
0: go ahead. I uh...
1: So there's an issue of The Avengers, which I, I'm i just going to guess that it took, that it's from about 19, well, it's still 12 cents. I'm going to guess it's from 1968 or 60, 69, but probably 68. Mm-hmm. So like uh, two years later. Looks like 60. And now it's... And it's issue 62 of The Mighty Avengers. And uh, now uh, T'Challa, the Black Panther, without a cape, is a member of the Avengers. <laughs> and in this issue, they don't know very much about him. But um, the the small group of the Avengers, it's, it's just four of them, are trapped in some icy mountain. And the Black Panther calls his personal uh, computer-guided... Uh, air vehicle to come rescue them Um, and of course that's a bigger technological deal back in 1968 than it would be now but um, so they're shocked that he has this technology and then because they were were already in Africa he brings them to Wakanda where they're immediately attacked by T'Challa's subjects and eventually it turns out that his friend who he left to sort of take care of things while he was off adventuring with the Avengers has decided he wants to be king and he's gained the powers of the white gorilla. And so he has a big fight with this white gorilla guy and defeats him in the end. So, And it feels like an attempt... It, this may be the next attempt to touch back on on uh, the Black Panther's sort of background as a ruler of a kingdom and, and issues that might exist in a kingdom. Uh, so I assume that later writers would have... Uh, got more into the politics of Wakanda and such. And so the, the the big question in this issue is whether it was a good idea to go off and leave his country to, to be a hero for the whole world and for all all nations of peoples rather than just take care of his own nation. So I enjoyed it a lot, but anyway, it makes me want to continue to follow the evolution of the Black Panther's portrayal.
0: Yeah, sounds interesting. I mean, he's been here and there he just rarely seems to be able to hold down his own book right
1: yeah you kind of maybe i mean it sound i gather vaguely from other comics where he's appeared that they've tried to build up more of a uh a supporting cast for him in wakanda mm-hmm. i wonder if it it depends on whether you can create a supporting cast that's memorable and stuff of his own For a long time, he was just used as a member of the Avengers. Right. Other than those brief times he had his solo books during the 70s. But I
0: think, I mean, he's kind of found more of a niche and been around here or there. He's interacted with a lot of characters, so... Right.
1: And he he has his own ongoing series now, which I think has been quite successful, especially in trades. I often see it on the top ten lists of... Trade sales um, written by Tanisi Coates, if I'm pronouncing his name right, who was not a comic book writer before doing The Black Panther, but a well known um, essayist, I think, on African American issues.
0: Right. So, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. And of course, The Black Panther is not an African American, he's an actual African. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is also interesting. And I don't know if people have have you know dug into the history of africa and and all the issues there but um so i assume at the point that we are recording this you have not yet seen the black panther movie
0: i have not and i'm assuming you plan to see
1: it i i have not i don't go to many movies in theaters at all lately um right so my first assumption was i would just wait until it came out on dvd but i don't know maybe i'll be tempted I mean, I am hearing good things beyond the hype just from people who've already seen it and thrown up videos on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard good things. I plan on seeing it soon. It should be a good time. Here's hoping. But I I am getting inspired to hopefully go back and read a little bit more Black Panther. And I've been kind of been meaning to reread Priest Run for a long time because it's been several years and there was moments and points and arcs in that story that were... More grabbing than I've read since in different aspects. Um, uh-huh. Playing with the idea of financial markets and how that would affect global politics and other bizarre, complex issues. And I don't know. I, I thought it'd be a fun book to go back and reread just because it's just a good run in its own right.
1: Those issues do make sense. When you first say them, I don't imagine they would make good comics, but maybe they can. (laughs) And everything I've read by Christopher Priest, I've enjoyed reading, so he often pulls off stuff that I don't expect him to be able to.
0: He's one of my favorite authors, and because of this one in particular, I went and started grabbing up a lot of his work until I reached the point where I started finding all of his stinkers.
1: Well, and he also has, uh, before he was even called Christopher Priest, a big backlog of kind of Marvel mediocre Marvel hack work during the during the weaker period of the eighties for Marvel, I think. When he was Jim Owlsley. He wrote Conan comics that weren't very exciting to me.
0: He uh he did Wolverine and Spider Man, which was a big book that was mentioned. When a was lot. that? I don't know the year, because that was when I bought issues without caring, but it was a heavily referenced one, partially because spider-man actually technically kills someone so it's brought up a lot and so if it
1: was during a period where you were buying comics it would have been after the 80s though so it's not an 80s comic i see
0: i might have been let's see if i can
1: since this is our very first podcast um it may or may not be useful to the listeners to know that i'm about 26 years older than my friend matt here so, our, our, our dates of reading comics are a bit different.
0: <laughs> it's true. Let's see. Um, this is not as easy to look up as I would have thought.
1: So, and I, I, have the, I have two of the Tennessee Coates trades. I, I guess I should, that really should be what I read next after getting into this Panther mood. I've been nervous to read them just because whenever someone from outside of comics dives in and does a big project right away and it gets hyped up, I always suspect I won't like it or that I'll, I'll find he's not doing comics right from my point of view of what right comics are. It's,
0: uh, it's a different method and mode than a lot of comics are. read. It, it can be interesting but you kind of have to be in that mood to sit down with a book and sip a cup of tea and uh, sit with it. It's not just... So you have
1: read some of his run?
0: Yeah. Um, uh. It is... It is uh, not the breeziest read, and it is not the best um, Black Panther run I've read. Not that it's bad by any stretch, necessarily. I I just think it's... uh, If you're coming into the Black Panther for the first time, I think it would be an ill choice, because it is dense, and it is not uh, new reader-friendly, in my opinion.
1: So I wonder if all the you know, uh, all the people who, in theory, after seeing the movie, might want to read some Black Panther, if the best place to start would be the Christopher Priest?
0: Christopher Priest is good. Hudlin did a run that I think is also approachable. I just don't think it's as strong, personally. Um, I
1: mean... I wonder if the Hudlin one is in print. I don't know if I've seen it in a long... Is that the one drawn by John Romita? Uh
0: Yes. Yes. And... Maybe I have
1: seen in that they brought brought it back out in trade recently
0: i've seen it around um i nowadays though i wonder if people are how interested people are depending on their levels if they wouldn't just pick up marvel unlimited i'm kind of wondering how much more viable that is to people than picking up a trade even anymore
1: well true and marvel unlimited currently has a list of of the black panthers greatest battles or something that you can go through in fact that's how i got to the avengers issue that i read that's the the, this Avengers 62 is the earliest black panther appearance that they have on their list on marvel unlimited but of course you can if you know what you're doing you can find his other appearances that aren't on their recommended list on marvel unlimited
0: so that spider-man wolverine one we were talking about was from 87 oh wow i didn't think you were reading comics that early i wasn't i uh
1: or you found back issues. Or
0: this was something I was basically instructed that I had to read. It was one of the wall comics. And so I remember saving up and there was two on the wall. One was uh, 25 and the other was 15 because it had a ding in the spine. Whoa. And I was and that's so a lot. excited. In <laughs>
1: 1990, whenever you were buying them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and I bet they're now in the 50 cent bins.
0: I don't know. I think this one's held some value. It may not be considered what it once was, but I think it's still a... Is it just called Spider-Man
1: and Wolverine? I, I've just never even heard Spider-Man of it. Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Spider-Man versus Wolverine.
0: It's uh, it's an odd one.
1: Now, in this show, are you... Like, we've been half discussing what we our expectations for this show are. We want to pick a, a small number of issues and kind of talk about them in as much depth as, as we're able to. Um, but are you, have you been thinking about whether you want to do a mix of contemporary comics and older comics, or how are you viewing that?
0: I mean, yeah, I I, I think it'd be good to mix it up and take things in as they come. Uh, yeah, just whatever, gathers our interest for the moment i think is the best place to flow no reason to set arbitrary rules
1: i'm open to both although i would like to find contemporary comics where we don't have to read 12 issues and try to discuss 12 issues at once well can you do that anymore maybe we'll have to do that (laughs)
0: maybe we will have to do that if we want to talk about modern comics because they only come out in segments you don't get issues really I mean, I know they come out in issues, obviously, but it's part one of, you know, however many.
1: So, and maybe in the future we'll set up some place where people can send us emails or comments in some fashion, but we don't have that set up at the moment. Maybe you'll find something in the show notes if we have show notes once this podcast is posted. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of questions on the back end that we'll, we'll <laughs> suss out.
1: Well, and because we're, ne- it's, we're never dead, we always come back. Exactly. Okay, well thanks everyone for joining us who is listening to this podcast. Tell all your friends to listen to.
0: <laughs> Good day.